the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, uh, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous, fabulous Saturday. By the way, um, as I record this particular episode, I am driving, full disclosure. So if you hear any noise every now and then, that's because I am in my car driving. Don't do this at home, by the way. But that's technology. The other thing, today, as I record this, is the 18th anniversary of September 11th. Therefore, I'm going to dedicate this particular episode for that. Now, you may or may not hear it, of course, that weekend, but you'll hear it very soon, maybe a couple of weekends after this anniversary. Either way, the anniversary is special. It has a um, just a, a special meaning uh, to not just myself, but, uh, you know, most likely to everyone, uh, including, of course, Muslims. Uh, whom you know, or maybe uh, who are exposed uh, to anything related to that. Now, I want to start by saying, obviously, by me talking about September 11 right now, I'm in no way, in no way, trying to entice anyone to uh, either uh, revisit emotions against Muslims or develop hatred towards Muslims, simply because... No matter what or how you feel about it, Muslims who committed this heinous act of terrorism were actually doing it in their mind, in obedience to the God that they're worshiping. Therefore, we should direct our emotions towards the ideology, the teaching, not towards the people who, in their mind, by the way, they believe they're being faithful. Case in point, even the Apostle Paul at one point was a chief killer, a chief murderer, by his own admission, a chief terrorist, if you wish. In fact, he himself also testified that his people, the Jews, were zealous people, but their zeal was without knowledge. And that's really the underpinning uh, for what I'm about to share with you. September 11 has a very, very special meaning to me simply because my very salvation resulted from, believe it or not, the emotions that came out of this act. I remember myself very clearly that day in my car on the driveway and listening to the radio saying that a plane hit one of the World Trade Centers. Now, first thing that came to my mind uh, probably many of you even thought this. I'm like, oh, man, this is probably a pilot in training flying a Cessna 
given that you know the World Trade Center is a very tall building, the poor soul couldn't just really maneuver correctly and ended up slamming against the building. And then I was driving to work at that time, and I remember that things were really calm everywhere. It's almost like there is this sense of um, somber that, uh, you know, overshadowed everything. The skies were calm. I began to notice there is no airplanes. And then I heard in the radio that the FDA, basically, uh, the um, uh, FAA, I should say, have grounded all flights. And I'm like, wow, why would they do something like this for an accident by a Cessna? And then slowly and gradually, reports became clear that we're not talking one airplane only, and we're not talking about a Cessna, we're talking about a major airliner, we're talking about three, to say the least, and there's a possibility of a fourth one, and that was definitely a breathtaking moment for me. Now, up until this point, I'm still not connecting the dots since reports are still coming. And then I was, when I arrived to work, I noticed everyone was in the lunchroom watching TV. Uh, I can't remember which major, uh, basically, news outlet at that time that we were watching, but nevertheless, you can tell uh, that, that this was a turning point in the life of everyone, not just in the U.S., but I can, I can tell it will have a turning point globally. And as we were watching the TV, the second plane clearly flying right in front of our eyes hit the second tower, and now it became real. There is an attack that is taking place. And as the report continued to come in, I started it to connect the dots. This was an act of jihad. And I can reflect immediately on my very upbringing and early life as a young zealot Muslim who was fascinated about jihad back in the 70s, who even wanted and considered going to Afghanistan in 1979 when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan for the sake of serving this God that promised me that if I'm willing to fight for his cause and offer my very life as a sacrifice, shedding literally my own blood as a sacrifice for his cause, that only then I am guaranteed paradise, that my sins are forgiven, no judgment will be bestowed upon me, and I will receive and unimaginable endless rewards and pleasures in this highest level of heaven called paradise. All that to say is I could at least bring about understanding and justification in my mind as to why these misguided hijackers did what they did. And that was the turning point for me in various ways. For instance, I've been attending church at that time as a seeker. I was yet to become a believer in Christ. And that very weekend, a sermon was preached 
to a church that is filled with people who were absolutely shocked about what happened. I must admit I was concerned about going even to the church if it wasn't for the assurances that my friends gave to me that no one is going to lash out at me or insult me or, or say anything negative to me because by then everybody knew that it was members of Al-Qaeda, Muslim jihadists that were behind this act. And it was an act of jihad and war launched against the infidels. They assured me that no one will even say the least negative thing towards me. And I heard the message, and the message was very simple. A sermon that was taken from the Sermon on the Mount, from the word of Jesus himself about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Not only persecuted you in the past, but who continue to persecute you. And that was a turning point. That was the nail that sealed the coffin for me literally, by denying myself and dying for, to my sins and rising back again as a saved person almost 60 days later in November of 2001. So that's why September 11 is a very special event. Not to mention that my very ministry took off as a result of this by going around to churches first to explain about Islam and its teachings, so that people can at least understand that this act was driven by a foundational command teachings, but also that behind this act is not a true God, and those who are fulfilling the act are people who are in desperate need for salvation. In other words, we needed to understand that we are dealing with lost souls who desperately desire to serve their God, and in doing so, they're willing to go to the extreme of literally doing what they did, dying, but obviously taking innocent lives with them. That's the turning point also in my entire ministry focus. It was no more I mean, it wasn't, it was no, no longer, uh, it became just, just a one man going around teaching, but that took me to a level where I became more and more focused on developing a ministry to help people not hate Muslims, but love my Muslim people for Christ, share the truth with them, and bring them to a saving knowledge. Not just loving them and being politically correct. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not why Jesus died on the cross for but to love them to the point of explaining the difference between us shedding our blood and Jesus doing it on the cross. So with that in mind, it's, it's definitely a very, very emotional uh, time for a lot of people. And uh, look at the impact of September 11. Uh, to be honest, the impact, as I mentioned earlier, is not local, is not national, but it's global. And if you don't believe me, just travel uh, to Europe or anywhere in the world and see the amount of security that is in place to uh, uh, basically to search your luggage, to uh, force you sometimes to take off your belt and your shoes and, and your phone and everything else. All of this resulted from September 11 and the act of 19 hijackers who, by the way, 
19 hijackers that come out of 1.6 billion people. What does that tell you about the power of this ideology called the doctrine of jihad? Now, I understand that Muslims are divided in terms of, uh, you know, either acknowledging or understanding such a doctrine. There are so many views, in full disclosure, so many Islamic views out there that wants to tell you that that's not what Islam is all about. This is not what Islam teaches. Sadly for those, Islam does teach the fighting and, the, uh, and killing the enemies of God. Now, the, the division also is about when do you apply such commands? When do you consider such commands to be at least uh, a, a command that you have to implement as a follower of this faith? So that's where you are going to be, um, you know, challenged in terms of understanding what does Islam teach. Now, we have to understand that Muslims are divided, as I mentioned, and they do not agree on whether this command to fight is a command that is historical. In other words, it was only back then, 14 centuries ago, when Islam emerged into the scene. Therefore, people are not commanded to fight anymore. Others will say this command is active only when there is an act of war against Muslims, persecution against Muslims. And as a result of this, you have two views. Those who will say that you just have to put up with these persecution and trust that God is going to bring about a resolution and present Islam as a religion of peace. Others will say only under these commands, you are given basically the mandate to fight back. And then you have those who wholeheartedly believe that they have this command as an open-ended prescription that is valid at all times, and it's always mandated by Muslims. Every capable Muslim must do it, whether physically or financially, by supporting those who are willing to go and fight and die until the religion of Islam becomes supreme. Um, let, let's look at some passages from the Quran and, and see what exactly is going on. For instance, in chapter 4 of the Quran, verse 95, listen to what this passage says. It's a powerful passage, not that I'm endorsing the Quran, but powerful in terms of how explicit it is in distinguishing between two groups of Muslims, by the way. Listen to it. It says, not equal are those believers, and the word believers here apply to those who follow Islam, Muslims, okay? So not equal are those Muslims, believers, who sit, and some translations will open parentheses and say, sit at home. In other words, sit behind and receive no hurt, meaning no harm. They're not willing to fight. And those, that's the second group now, so the first group are a group of Muslims who decide not to go and fight, stay behind so that they're not harmed. Versus the second group who strive, notice, struggle physically, that's the physical, uh, the spiritual jihad, and fight, that's the physical jihad. Both 
you know, basically sides of the jihad coin are here. Both the spiritual, the struggle, and the physical, meaning giving up of your life and fight in the cause of Allah. And the cause of Allah, by the way, that's the basically the modifier. You're not fighting just for any cause. It's fighting for the cause of your God. With their what? Notice what you're fighting with. Fighting for the cause of Allah with their, notice, goods. That's their giving, their material things, and their persons, life. You're willing to die. Allah has granted a grade higher to those, this group, who strive and fight with their goods and persons than those who sit behind. Notice, that's exactly why you have a few that are zealot, that are willing to take it to that extreme. 19, in this case, who were the hijackers. Not the 1.6 billion Muslims. Even estimates will say out of the 1.6 billion Muslims, 5 to 10% could be classified as very devout. We're still talking about anywhere from 80 to 160 million Muslims. Still, we have 19 only that were willing to commit such an act. It is because of verses like this that you shouldn't be surprised that the ideology and such teaching will always be around. Whenever I hear that ISIS is defeated, I want to always remind people, maybe ISIS, the group, has been defeated, but ISIS, the ideology, will keep on going. As it continued for the last 14 centuries, I don't see why this ideology will never continue again, unless Muslims from within are willing to reform Islam and do away with teachings like this, and that they are wrong, and make adjustments to the book that they believe is the word of Allah. That, my friends, will never happen, simply because you will have 19 that will rise and say, absolutely not. We don't care if the masses of the community decide that they want to reform the teaching. We will carry on those mandates. Why? Continue on with the verse in chapter 4, verse 95, because of the rewards that we will receive. This is what it says. Unto all has Allah promised good, but those who strive and fight has he distinguished above those who sit by a special reward. And that's where we begin to see that there is a clear distinction, clear distinction between the rewards given to those who are willing to fight and die and those who are willing to sit behind. In fact, one would argue that in chapter 9 of the Quran, those who sit behind are actually given another title called the hypocrites. And in fact, some of the hypocrites, according to the teaching of the Quran, are not promised heaven, period. That they will be punished in the hellfire as a result of being hypocrites, calling themselves to be Muslims, but are not acting according to the teaching of Islam. So, all that to say is that unless we are willing to understand those mandates that are given to those who are willing to apply them, the few that are willing to go along with these mandates to fight the so-called infidels and unbelievers, including hypocrite Muslims. You think the hijackers did not think for a second that these buildings could contain people who follow Islam? 
who are we to say that there wasn't a single Muslim in these buildings? Out of the 3,000 who died, who are we to deny that there was at least one person who follows Islam? They, of course, knew that there'll be at least one, if not even more. And in their mind, hey, that's their fate. If they're true Muslims, they're going to paradise. If they're not, they're going to suffer the consequence of being hypocrite Muslims. We, on the other hand, as the hijackers, we know where we're going. We're going straight to paradise, the highest level of heaven, no judgment against us. Our sins are completely forgiven, and we will be given endless rewards and pleasures forever and evermore. That's the sad reality. Chapter 3 of the Quran, verses 169 and 170 reads, Think not of those who are slain in God's way or Allah's way as dead, nay, they live, finding their sustenance in the presence of their Lord. They rejoice in the bounty provided by Allah. And with regard to those left behind who have not yet joined them in their blessing as martyrs, glory in the fact that on them is no fear, nor have they cause to grieve. Therefore, this mandate of martyrdom is extremely important to those who follow Islam to the core, who are devout, just like myself when I was a young lad in the 70s. And in 1979, I felt that this is my golden opportunity to go and fight. If it wasn't for my mother stepping in the way, preventing me from such a foolish idea, and I'm so thankful for that, that I won't be sitting here today telling you about the meaning behind September 11 and also why we ought to always remember our Muslim friends that not all of them are really following the truth in their mind. They feel that they are following their own version of the truth. There are Muslims, by the way, who are secret followers of Christ, but we want more and more Muslims to come forward to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior so that one day we will remind them of the words of the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit as we read the following in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then he goes on in verse 9 and says, Because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. So this is my invitation to my Muslim friends. And I want to say I apologize in advance if anyone is harassing you because they do not understand that you have no choice but to follow these mandates that are given to you in a book that you truly believe is the Word of God. But let me tell you, the God that we worship is a God that promised that He will give us peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace 
that not as the world gives to us, but a different type of peace, a peace that have conquered even the evil in this world. I know you seek to spread peace, and I know you want to submit to this God that you are following. But my advice is that you inspect and investigate what Jesus has taught, read the Gospels, listen and watch testimonies of people like myself who have left Islam and found that eternal peace. It's not about a momentous peace. It's not about a peace that is temporary. temporary. It's about an eternal peace that only Christ can give to us. That's my advice to all of you, and that's my prayer that those of you who are witnessing to them, that you will remember to have compassion for them as cheap without a shepherd. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of sharing with you in this very special moment. Until we meet again, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.